Are you, you like some special forces guy or something? I'm just a cook. A cook? in this army to do whatever you tell me drill sergeant all 300 infantry you made it recon platoon kicks butt air cam son air mobile now who here can tell me the rescue swimmer's motto oh feel safer already all right this is the very first episode of my military job podcasts where we're talking to people from all different walks of life, different branches of the military, doing all the different wonderful, fun, exciting jobs of the military and the mundane and boring but necessary jobs of the military as well. Today, I've got Dan Mad Dog Humphreys with me this morning. Isn't that what they call you? No, that's not it. No? Should we? We should start that. Do you think? Mad Dog's, that's Mattis's uh, all sign. Yeah, but he's retired, so that's true. We need an active mad dog. So, <laughs> all right. Well, Dan, welcome in, man. Uh, why don't you tell America and the world where you're from? Uh, so I am. Uh, I was born in uh, Portland, Oregon, and then uh, really raised in New Mexico and Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, Tucson, Arizona. Um, my dad was a combat rescue pilot in the Air Force, so kind of moved a little bit. Um, I would say spent most of my time in Tucson, so I'd say Tucson is where I'm from. All right, so that's uh, so you were already pretty familiar with the military life from an early age, huh? Yeah, different side of it, but yeah, for sure. Okay, uh, so what uh, what how old were you, and what made you decide, hey, I'm going to join the military? Was that something you always wanted to do? Yeah, I think um, aside from five seconds of wanting to be an architect, architect, and okay. you know, fifth grade or something. Otherwise. Always wanted to be in the military in some form or fashion. Okay. Um, and, and when that started out, was it like because you had seen Rambo or was no. it because dad was in the military? Or So we didn't have a TV growing up, so I didn't have okay. that, that exposure. I think my mom had one in her room, um, but we didn't have one like for myself and my brothers. Okay. Um, so it was kind of exposure of like um, my dad coming home in his flight suit every night and then um you know occasionally going to his work and being able to see you know him on the flight line him walking us through the helicopters and stuff and that that you know firsthand exposure was was definitely sparked the interest that's awesome so that explains a lot i don't think you've told me that before about not having a tv but before we started recording i was asking you how many you know about steven seagal movies and under siege and you hadn't seen it so it explains a lot now because uh, when I was thinking about joining the military, it was, of course, it was all Steven Seagal. Yeah. You know, I'm going to have a ponytail, and I'm going to do roundhouse kicks. And to me, that's what it what it was. So what was it that you were like, okay, you know, I, I think as a kid, you know, I always thought about being in the military too, but I also thought about playing baseball, and I thought about doing this. Uh, you said you thought about architecture. What was it that kind of sparked that where you're like, all right, you know, that's it. This is my career choice. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go sign up. Uh, I think it was a combination of probably my, my dad and my brother's um, deployments. My brother commissioned in the Air Force in 2007, um, and then he, he did an inter-service transfer to the Army in, I think, 2008. 
uh, and then deployed to Iraq in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my both my dad and my brother were in Iraq and Afghanistan. And my brother was in Syria as well. Um, and so th- seeing those deployments early on, I think um, probably whatever it was, fifth or sixth or seventh grade, whenever I was had that two seconds of like, maybe not the military. And then when they started deploying, I was like, oh, no, that's what I want to do. Okay. And so dad was Air Force. Uh, your brother was Air Force and then Army. Yeah. Don't you have another brother in the Marines? Uh, no. Okay. I, I had a brother go to uh, OCS the same summer that I did. Okay. Uh, passed OCS and was just like, I want to be a firefighter instead. Okay. And so that's what he does now. All right. So then you're deciding, okay, I'm going to do this military stuff. What, um, how in the world did, by the way, how do you like that coffee? It's it's really good, actually. The ra- like the rounds, I was expecting it to be, like I said the other day, plastic, like plastic yeah. taste, but it tastes just like the bag. All right, so we should tell America and the world what kind of coffee you're drinking. Black, Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee, of course. It's the uh, Headless Horseman Roast. Headless Horseman Roast, and that's the round. Yep, and uh, that was a free promo there for Black Rifle Coffee, so hopefully they're listening, and um, they'll see that their sales are going to jump through the roof now, and uh, we'll get a sponsor out of that. But uh, back to how did you choose the Marine Corps? What what made you say, was it kind of a rebellion? Oh, you're Air Force dad, I'm going. Doesn't sound like that was the relationship you had. No, no. Um, so I knew early on I had poor eyesight. So I, I think if I if I had uh, had decent eyesight, maybe I would have followed my dad's footsteps and, and tried to be a combat rescue pilot in the Air Force. Um, but I knew out the gate, I was like, I'm going to be on the ground. Um because I have you know, poor eyesight. So it was either the Army or the, the Marines uh, for me. <clears throat> and uh, I, you know, my brother was in the, he's an armor officer in the Army. My dad's combat rescue pilot. And I was like, well, you know, how can I kind of stack up, uh, like measure up to what they've done, you know, if I do the same exact path? Yeah. I was like, well, I will do what is advertised as the hardest route to. Uh, that's interesting. Okay. So, um, yeah. So initially around that time, this was like 2000, when I started doing the research, it was like 2008, probably maybe 2007. Uh, and there was not much online about besides the basic, you know, how do you become a Marine officer? Well, you go talk to your recruiter. Like there was just not a lot of information. So when I was old enough to drive when I was 16, I went into a, a Marine recruiter and he said what all enlisted recruiters say, well, you want to go enlisted first. <laughs> uh, it's the only way. Um, and so I was, I was still set on, on being an officer, but I was like, appreciate the information, but he couldn't recruit me anyway. So he was like, come back when you're 17 and when you have your parents, uh, you know, permission. Um, and and again, was it just, because that's what your family had done, you knew you wanted to be an officer? Or was it dad telling you, hey, you want to be an officer? No, I, th- I think, um, so it kind of goes back a few generations. I don't think we've, my my mom's dad, my granddad on my mom's side, um, he was drafted in World War II, and he was the only enlisted member of my family that I can think of, at least in recent generations. Um, so my great Uncle on my granddad's side uh, was artillery officer in World War One. My granddad was um, a bomber pilot. He was a fighter pilot before he went to Vietnam, but a bomber pilot in Vietnam um, officer, obviously. And then my 
uncle was a test pilot in the Air Force. He's an officer. My dad, pilot in the Air Force, officer, my brother, officer. So I think it's one of those, no, no one ever told me, like, you will be an officer. It's just kind of like, this is the standard expected, yeah. kind of unspoken. Um, my dad was very, um, you know, do what you're passionate about, do what honors the Lord, and was never, um, never like, you, w- you will do this, yeah. or I will be ashamed of you. Oh, that's good advice. Honor the Lord and follow your passion. Can't. Can't say that's not great advice. Um, yeah, while you're just sitting there talking, all I could think about was the scene from uh, Forrest Gump where they're talking about Lieutenant Dan. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody from his family had fought and died in every single war. Sorry, I, that's just what I was thinking. I was like, I'm literally talking to Captain Dan, I guess. Yeah. That's got to promote. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, so then so – then, you talk to the recruiter. He's like, come back when you're old enough. And so then what'd you do? What'd the path look like? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, quick, quickly registered that as like hard pass. I I've got other plans. Uh, <clears throat> and I, you know, tried, tried to find an OSO officer selection officer, um, or a Marine officer instructor, like somebody, it was legitimately really struggling to find, a competent individual to tell me like, Hey, these are the steps you need to take. Um, and so, uh, after a few years of just hit and miss, hit and miss, I, I found information on the army, uh, and actually applied for an army RTC scholarship, um, and did not get it. Uh, and, uh, was, was basically applied, did not get selected because of my poor planning in high school. And then, um, Come the summer before my freshman year in college, my that's when my brother just ran into an OSO randomly, uh, and then I got hit, I got the information for the OSO in Tucson, and then that was that was it. I was like, that's the route I'm going. Okay, yeah, yeah that's funny. I, I I I've told you my story. You know, we're not here to talk about my story, but I did uh, the Marine Corps OCS thing in college, and that it was just random. I was walking through the quad one day, and this guy was set up with a table. And he was in a Marine uniform. I'm like, oh, hey, you know, what do you do? And he started telling me. And that's where I was like, are you telling me I could fly jets? Like, it just blew my mind. And But, yeah, it was just a random chance encounter through the through the quad that I happened to meet this guy. Well, um, he was probably like, well, I mean, you couldn't make it, but somebody <laughs> hypothetically could fly jets. Exactly. It's usually the angle. Yeah. But, no, he, uh, he was um, – my introduction into like the military, I didn't know I, I when I was younger, I always thought, oh man, military would be so cool. But like I said, I, it really was inspired by Rambo and Steven Seagal and all that stuff. But um, when I met him and started talking, that was, I had no idea. And I think a lot of civilians that I talked to, they don't understand really the difference between enlisted and officer. Uh, I know that was eye opening to me. And when I was trying to explain it to my family, it was, you know, this is how the military works. And, and now I guess having been in the military, it's so just commonplace. Like you, yeah, that's, that's the way it is. But you forget that a lot of civilians don't know there's a difference between enlisted and officer. So you said, you know, from the beginning, that's what you wanted to do. Your families had served and uh, as an officer, um, just I briefly, if that way, if somebody's listening to this and doesn't know what, 
and I, I didn't let you prep for this or anything, but what is the difference between enlisted and officer and how does that, how does that work in the military? Yeah. So the initial, um, I'll, I'll start with kind of what they do. Officers are, uh, I will say com- compared to like a Ford assembly line, um, your officers are kind of your, um, uh, you're, I would say, floor managers or, like, upper-level management, right? They're, they're responsible for making sure that the assembly line um, is conducted properly, safely, uh, the mission is met, all that kind of stuff. They're, like, big-picture operations-focused yeah. for the most part. Workers get taken um, care of, get paid, all that. Yeah, yeah. And then the enlisted are, are the, the guys on the deck um, making sure that, like, the, the vehicle's put together properly, that um all the little stations are inspected that you know people are doing their job and doing it on time and punching in and punching out on time all that kind of stuff yeah um <clears throat> so it's kind of small analogy but it, it honestly the the water gets kind of muddier as you um as you go kind of go around the military like it's in the in the navy they're very uh you know you're it's it's much <clears throat> much more about um, they, they have a specific role that they've been trained in, right? Like right. You're, you're, you're a nuclear officer. You are to inspect, right. Uh, y- you know more about this than I do, but, uh, you're, you're to inspect like the actual power plant to the ship and things like that. Um, with the Marines, it's much more, again, it, it's subjective because if you're a pilot, your job is you're focused on flying. You're not so much focused on, uh, NJPing Marines and, you know, things like that. So. You know, that's one of the things I've seen in the Navy and the Marine Corps. Um, I've worked with pilots from both. I was at a squadron one time that was a mixed Marine and Navy squadron. And I love uh, Marine pilots, Marine officers. I mean, you guys really take care of your enlisted Marines from my experience. But um, that's one of the things that, that I do see in the Navy and Marine Corps. It's like you're a pilot, but you've also got this ground job over here. You're also the safety officer or you're also the something, you're also the something. And it really, from what I've seen, it takes away from, um, not that they're not great pilots, but you really mastering and just focus on that, which I've heard, uh, that's what the army does. The army, from what I've heard, if you're a pilot, you fly, that's your job. And, um, I guess that's a, a topic for another day as to whether or not, um, you know, that's, that's beneficial, but no, yeah, exactly. Like you're saying, um, it, uh, yeah, there's a big difference between services and branches, I should say, and how, uh, they go about their job. So I, I interrupted you there, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, so the, um, in the Marines, it just kind of, it varies. Um, the, the wing is, is different. They do, they, they are safety officers and things like that as well, but, um, and that takes up a lot of their time. It does. Yeah. But yeah. the, the Marine Corps is paying them there to do the thing no one else can do, right. just fly their platform. So, right. um, but the the ground side, it's much it's it's a lot of managing people, and it kind of depends on your billet too. But not to get too much in the weeds, um, you know, you're you're there to make sure that the mission happens. Okay. Um, whether you're at a recruiting station as an officer, or you're on drill instructor duty as an officer, or you're you know in the in the fleet. Yeah. And I've seen it with the Marine Corps, just the chain of command is so much more, at least in my experience, is so much more clearly defined. It functions so much more as it was designed to, whereas in the Navy, uh, chain of command isn't always enlisted up through officer. You know, it's like, 
uh, I won't get into it, but, um, and then also just for people who don't know, there's, that's when we talk about pay grades enlisted has its own, uh, set of ranks and pay grades E1 through E9 officer has the same O1 through O9, I guess. Oh, yeah. O9 would be the highest right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, so it, it's, there's the officer world and there's the enlisted world and, we won't jump into the warrant officer world, but just that way, if anybody's listening, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about officer. Um, so then, okay, you found an OSO, and then what? I'll go back real quick yeah. and correct myself, uh, O10, because there's four general officer ranks, and then there's okay. six. There's three field grade, three, three so, company grade. But there, there would be only one O10, right? Um, not necessarily. The okay. Marine Corps has like three or four. Oh, okay, okay. Anyway, uh, so OSO... As I was. Yeah, <laughs> as I was. Uh, the Oso uh, got in contact with him. His name was uh, Cap McFarlane. He was, he was uh, you know, textbook infantry officer. Just yoked. Now, Oso, uh, officer selection officer, that is the recruiter for officers. Right. Okay, yeah. go ahead. There, there's a couple of them. You, well, really, Oso is the only one in that specific role for the um, uh, platoon leaders class program or the uh, OCC program. Um, officer candidate course, it's, it's really the same end state. Um, but yeah, met with him and my first, um, meeting with Marine officers was awesome. Um, it was, it was Cap McFarlane, this yoked infantry officer who's just a really intimidating guy. And then his boss, I can't remember the major's name, but like Purple Heart, Bronze Star V, like he just, you know, they're in their, they're in their Charlies just decked out and, intense dudes i was like this is the organization <laughs> i want to be a part of uh so yeah my first interaction was pretty awesome um and they were just brass tacks like you know why you here like list out why why you're there um if guys came in and you know were like i want college to be paid for or something like that they're like yeah the wrong place for you PLC <laughs> platoon leaders class they don't pay for your college right it's like one of the only routes that i call it the short end of the stick yeah it's like the worst way to become a Marine officer because they don't pay for anything. But <clears throat> yeah. So, um, yeah, contracted that summer, um, summer of uh, 12. And, uh, um, yeah, went to OCS two summers later. Okay. Yeah. And you did you do OCC? Did you do the – I did uh, PLC, um, the 6 and 6. Oh, you? I didn't know you did that. Juniors yeah. and seniors? Okay. Yeah. Juniors um, and seniors, yeah. So – it, real just briefly, how was that? Uh, it was it was good. I um, it's competitive. So okay. the the different districts. There's the recruiting districts. I was in the eighth district, which mm-hmm. is uh, like Arizona, New Mexico, Texas. I think Colorado. It's is the most competitive district. Okay. Um, and it was obvious. It took I was on. It took me four boards to get selected. Wow. To get to get selected to go to OCS. Uh, so it took me two full years. There's two boards a year. So all the fall of 12, uh, spring of 13, fall of 13, and then I was finally selected the spring of 14 wow. to go to juniors. Okay. Um, and so it was like, no kidding, 300 PFT, 300 CFT, 3.6 GPA, like, you know, extracurriculars, like really hard to get in. So I guess they weren't hurting so bad. I, I did it in 2001, and so they were – they were needing people around that time, if you'll remember what was going on in the world. And so I had none of that. That's the funny <laughs> thing about recruiting is it, it 
it ebbs and flows. Yeah. Like they'll one day they'll be like, what's your name? Yeah. Come on in, yeah. come on over. And then the next day they're like, I don't think you have what it takes. And like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, real. yesterday. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I know with uh, the juniors and the seniors. So, I mean, explain that a little. It's you're going through the training. It's just broke up over two six week periods. So you go one summer and then you go the next summer. Um, and while you were at OCS, I'll let you, what do you do at OCS? What is it? Yeah. So the breakdown real quick. Uh, <clears throat> so there's, and, there, and if I may, yeah. um, unless you have a very, no, 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 no. I think for the Marine Corps, any job you have, you have to go through this. Yes. You have to go. So this is the boot camp, basically, if you will, yeah. for Marine Corps officers, even though you have TBS and all that follow on. Uh, this is the initial boot camp, right? Right. Okay. So, what do you? What is OCS? What takes place? Yeah. So, Officer Candidate School. Um, the the only ones that don't go to Officer Candidate School is the Naval Academy guys, and that's why they're not real officers. <laughs> um, but the, for the, everyone else, they have to do. Um, so, there's the PLC Junior Seniors, which is six weeks, and then you go back for the second six weeks. Okay. Uh, the following summer, two summers later, depending on when. And then there's Officer Candidate course, which is the 10-week course. Uh, so that's usually for guys that either are the uh, they're juniors going into their senior year and they need to finish OCS in one summer before they commission because um, you can't commission without graduating OCS. So there's that 10-week. That's also for guys that graduate college and then decide they want to be a Marine officer. Then they go to OCC, and then they would commission after that. Um, and really the six weeks, the six and six and the 10, after I went through both six and six, it, the 10 is really just those two combined, combined. without um, all that extra admin that takes place in between. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cause you're doing, you're doing two processing weeks, you're doing two final weeks. So it's, it's all that just merged. And yeah. then the, uh, Naval Reserve Officer Training Corps, the NRTC guys, they just do seniors. So they do that. Oh, okay. I didn't know that, that. Yeah, they just do the six weeks before their senior year. Uh, and then the, the end state's all the same. So once you graduate OCS, um, you know, on, on to, you can commission at the end of once you get your bachelor's degree and once you graduate OCS and then um, commission. Gotcha. And – for you, I know I had several friends at my college. Uh, I played rugby, and a lot of us, I say a lot, I think there were four of us on the rugby team who were doing Marine OCS. Did you, was, did you just dread going back for that second six weeks? To be honest, it was, um, it was not as bad as I, like I was not as worried about it as I thought okay. I was going to be. I know for us it was just like, man, why didn't I just get this all knocked out at once? Yeah. It's like going to boot camp. And it, it really sucks. And then they're like, hey, we're going to send you home, have some fun, and we're going to bring you back, and it's going to suck again. Like, man, can I, you know, can't we just pull the Band-Aid off now? Right. And so I remember, like, the weeks leading up to seniors, it was like, oh, I can't believe I got to go back through that processing. I got to go back through pickup. I got to go yeah. back to, oh. So, but you didn't you didn't have that. See, I that's mean, why. Nervous for. That's why you're that hardcore. Kind of like, No. It re- I think really it's just kind of a mindset yeah. of, you know, you know you have to. You know you signed up for six and six, mm-hmm. so you know that's what it's going to be. And I would rather do, you know, to be honest, I'd rather do the ten weeks. But at that point, I had already graduated juniors, mm-hmm. and so when I was going back for seniors, it was like, well, the plus side is July Fourth weekend. I'm going to be back home with my family, and the ten weekers that waited, uh-huh. they're still going to be in OCS, and so that's kind of what. See, I that's that's that positive uh, mental outlook, and and 
you need that. All right, so you go to OCS. Um, so did you already know at this point what your job would be? Your Okay. Yes. When, when did that come into the so equation? So that, that's determined at, at TBS, the basic school. So okay. the way that um, the Marines are great about holding the carrot out. Yeah. So, like, when you're in OCS, everything from, you know, your your name tapes to your belt, like, you earn everything uh-huh. that's on your uniform. Recruits start out with, like, unblast boots. You know, they don't even have, like, an, a MCMAP belt. Yeah. They have their collar buttoned up. You earn every piece of that uniform. So, um, so basically, at, you also earn what your MOS is. And so when you graduate OCS, the next thing is, uh, and OCS is just a screening and evaluating mm-hmm. for potential as an officer. Um, and then you commission, and then usually within six months, you'll go to the basic school in Quantico, Virginia. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I'm glad you said that because I said OCS is like the boot camp. It's not, you're not a Marine yet. No. This is the interview. I mean, as far as like, like technically on paper, you're getting paid as an E5. Yeah. Um, but no, you're not a Marine. That's no. right. Yeah. This is the, yeah, this is the interview. This is, and it sucks. It's hard. And this is just to say, we're just, this is basic level. If you, this is to see if you can handle the hard stuff. Right. Um, all right. So then you go, you go to TBS, the basic school. That's the, the school all Marine officers go to after OCS, right? Yeah. First commission. And at what point in that process then did you, so you said you earn your job. When, when did you, when did that start to happen and you started to know what you were going to do? Yeah. So the, so I'm the, taking so much time with OCS when I want to talk to you about your jobs. Cause you've, you've got what I think are two really interesting job experiences, but go ahead. I, I'm curious which those are, but um, <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, here. So the basic school, um, when you, it, it's usually six to seven months long. Mine was seven just cause it went over the winter break period. Um, but the goal of TBS is to create provisional rifle platoon commanders so that in in theory and in, in the concept, um, you can have anyone take a rifle platoon and at least know how to set them in the defense, at least know how to patrol, um, at least, you know, know the ins and outs of fires and things like that. And so, that's what I think sets Marine officers apart. Like, there's no other branch that has that. Yeah. I, I'm an advocate for it. I hated TBS just uh, overall, And so it, if you're if you're a, a lawyer, if you are a yep. admin, if you're Pilot. whatever, yeah, you have Everybody. been through and you can lead a platoon. What's the story well, they always say of like, <laughs> yeah, well, what's the, the story they used? That, that actually happened. Was it the Battle of Guadalcanal or there was this pilot who got shot down? Yeah, TBS, did, as, as far as I know, didn't exist yet. I think it was created in the 50s. I'd have to look back in the history of that. Okay. Um, but I could, for either for Korea or Vietnam, 100%, I could believe that. Like logistics officers uh, in the rear holding, um, you know. Yeah, there was some story like this pilot, he got shot down and he found a platoon without a platoon commander, something like that. He yeah. pieced them together and led them to, to go take this machine gun position yeah, or something yeah. like that. It was a really cool story. Yeah. All right, so I keep I keep derailing you. Oh, At good. what point do you know what your job's going to be? Yeah, so uh, it's really toward the very end of TBS. So throughout TBS, you get there and you rack and stack MOSs. And I this has changed. So I went through TBS in 2016, so it's probably uh, changed a little bit. But there's like 16 or sorry, 26 MOSs that includes pilot. Um, so it's everything like you got your combat arms, your infantry, your uh, um, 
assault amphibious vehicle officers, your tank officers that no longer exist in the Marines, uh, artillery, stuff like that. Then you have your combat service support. So you've got logistics, uh, supply, admin, admin or manpower officers. Um, and then you've got pilots and, and things like that. So you rack and, rack and stack those. And then based on... What does that mean? So <clears throat> you, you uh, list them. So like my number one is this. And then you list them all the way down to the thing where you're like, please, I beg of you, don't put me <laughs> in this. For me, it was calm communications. Um, so you do that uh, o- over the course of TBS. TBS is broken down into uh, three categories of evaluation. So it's uh, 30% physical. Um, so physical fitness is 30%. 30% is academic. And then 40% is uh, leadership. And so um, based on how you perform they have the third system, which is basically if you have 100 guys, um, one is going to get his first choice. 30 is probably going to get one of his last choices or not very high up there. 31 gets his first choice. 60 gets their last choice and so on and so forth. <clears throat> it's almost like a snake draft in the fantasy league. It's kind of interesting. So you can basically be – you can be ter- like <laughs> – yeah. I don't say terrible, but on the, on the bottom end and get what you want. Uh, or you could be a stud. Yeah. You could be like top. 10%. And, I, and I don't think that's a bad idea. I mean, you what? Tell us, tell us why they do that. Yeah, it, it's for an even spread right. is the concept, so that you you don't have all the studs in infantry or wherever. That's right. Because if you if you had, you know, one job that everybody wanted to do, and then you would get all your best people there, and that means the other jobs would just get like you said. And if you've made it through OCS and TBS, it's not like you're garbage. But at the same time, all the other jobs would get, yeah, the lesser. And that way you're spreading, I think, the expertise across. Yeah. I, I think it's a good idea. It just really sucks for some people. Somebody gets screwed. <laughs> Number two That's guy. For sure. you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. Yeah, well, I, I won't go into my story. But, uh, okay, so it's towards the end. You've racked them. You stacked them. Yep. And they come in and they say, Dan, you're number one. We're going to give you whatever one. you want. Yeah, so um, full disclosure, performance TBS, I uh, did not do well. I did. I did. I would say I did very poorly. I was uh, middle of the road average. I was top third physical fitness-wise. Um, and then my, ac- or I should say, leadership, I was middle of the pack. And I completely blew off the exams. I didn't, I barely studied, if if not not at all, for the academics portions. Um Hindsight 2020, I, I was just... Uh, but I mean, Marine Corps academics, isn't that like sorting crayons by color? Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. And I just didn't didn't focus on that, you know? <laughs> <Sorry>. um, <laughs> I could see the physical fitness, though. We went on a, uh, a retreat, you know, a time to rest and a time to relax and recoup. And Dan was up at 06 running in the mountains. And you, you know why we, we did that? Just to show me how no, pathetically no. lazy I am. So, so Tony Clement... He comes up to me the night before, and he just looks me in the eyes. He's like, you bring your running shoes? <laughs> I was like, I already knew. I was like, it's on. Like, we're, oh, we're doing man. a trail run tomorrow morning. Um, but, yeah, so uh, so I, you know, I, I, was, I was in the middle third. Um, and I, uh, my number one was tanks. And uh, I, I'm, I couldn't remember all of them. Com was at the bottom because com sucks. Um, man. I've got you're making me like so. You're making so many enemies on here. Yeah, no, so I no. Naval I, Academy grads aren't real officers. Yep, Calm no. sucks. 
Um, I, have, I, 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 <laughs> I, I'm going to have three listeners to this podcast and you just alienated two thirds of yeah. them. No, I, calm was just, it is, it is, I will say it is an art. Um, and, a, and I really have a lot of, uh, respect for the commas that I work with. I will say that I personally was like, I would be terrible at that yeah. job. Like the Marine Corps would be at a disadvantage if I go into comms. So I put comms. I'll say it's a necessary job, but I have yet 100%. to meet a Marine Corps comms officer. And I've known several actually who would just say, wow, I love it. Yeah. It's, it was my number one choice. It's yeah. all I will ever want to be. And even after they've done it, it's just like, wow, this is not a, but I won't go into that. All right, go ahead. Um, so yeah, so I, I can probably remember my top five. So I put tanks number one, um, Assault amphibious vehicles, number two. Three, I think, was like artillery or combat engineer. Four, I think, was either infantry or combat engineer, and then whatever was left. So it's basically just combat arms out the gate because um, that's what you go into the Marine Corps to do. That's right. So, that's what Steven Seagal would do. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, when the when the final picks came, my SPC, my staff platoon commander, he's the captain over the platoon of lieutenants, um, he sat me down and talked to me. He's like, Hey, so I can't, uh, you know, I can't get you tanks. There's two tank slots. There's two AAV slots. Um, and the number like four guy in 300 lieutenants wants tanks. Um, and so he's like any give. And I was like, no, sir, still want tanks. Um, and then when the actual slating came out, I got, uh, my second choice AVs. Right on. Um, so w- which I was pretty happy about, like all things considered, some people are, some people's lives just got like ruined <laughs> yeah. as they're announcing who gets what. And I'm like, I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah. Um, very different though than tanks. So that your SPC who sets you down, is that what Taylor does now? It is, yeah. Taylor, Taylor Griffin. Griffin. I was yeah. going to say, he needs to come on the podcast to We're going to have Taylor all, on. He's yeah. got to make all the corrections about, like, the air wing <laughs> and all of the things that I said wrong. Yeah, about. he's going to correct all that. And uh, But see, here's the difference, though. I, I have no doubt whatsoever Taylor is going to know every Steven Seagal reference. and every. That's a good point. Taylor <laughs> is an action movie stud. All right, uh, so you get number two. You get AAVs. Am I saying that correctly? AVs, yeah. And that stands for? Uh, assault Amphibious Vehicle. Often people just say Amphibious Assault Vehicle because it rolls off the tongue better. So. That's what I always thought it was. Yeah. It's, yeah. Okay. Doctrinally, it's Assault Amphibious Vehicle, but it doesn't, whoever wrote that was not thinking about how it rolls off the tongue, so. Yeah. And I think of, like, in the Navy, we have, like, a um, small boat inflatable, you know, they put it yeah, all, yeah. or whatever. Inflatable small, no, inflatable boat small. That's what it is, yeah. the IBS. You're like, why would you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so then you get your number two choice, mm-hmm. and how would you feel about that? Were you, I mean, pretty excited? Were you bummed? No, I was excited. Um, the nice thing about tracks is, is tracks is the kind of term for AAVs, um, is that nowhere else in the military does that exist. Mm-hmm. And so I was pretty excited about that aspect of, like, in theory, right, amphibious assault, tip of the spear. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of where my head was at. Um, I mean, that's what Marines are. That's it, historically, I should say, that's yeah. been the bread and butter. I guess before two thousand one, before yeah. you know Afghanistan, and yeah. So, um, really excited about that. <clears throat> there were two two slots. Uh, I happened to get one of them, um, and uh, I got. Basically, there was two options. You can go to third tracks in Pendleton, which, of course, I was like, yes. that The Blue Diamond, that's where I want to go. And then uh, there's uh, Lejeune. So I was like, please, God, <laughs> not Lejeune. And fortunately, the other guy that got tracks was like, 
hey, man, I, like, I've got family in North Carolina. I just want to go there. I was like, dude, perfect. Give me, I, I, give yeah. me 20 bucks. Yeah, and. I will get in. I'll, I'll take the L and go to California. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was, I was like, yes, absolutely. So we went to our SBC. Uh, did, we were in different platoons, but it was just like very clear. This is where we got want to go. The monitor sent us exactly where we want to go. So out the gate, I get my second choice and then first choice duty station. So things were, were good. Yeah. And, uh, leading in. So then from there on, where, where do you go? What's the training? Look yeah. Like? So, uh, go to, um, first did some OJT time. The assault amphibian officers course only happens twice a year. Cause it's a very small community. Uh, so I came in right after the first class. I, I reported into, um, third assault amphibian battalion in April of 2017. Uh, and then did some OJT time, some on the job training <clears throat> with, uh, Alpha Company and uh, I think Bravo and HS and got to it was kind of cool. I got to like go out to the field with these different um track platoons, but I was not really responsible for anything, so yeah. I kind of got to see how things are run. Uh, and got some good exposure before I went to assault amphibian officers course. Well, that's cool, that's a great so, idea, yeah. Yeah, I uh, yeah, it was it was good. Because I think a lot of times you go through the training and you've never seen it in reality, and right. You know, the training is set up as, as best they can to mock reality and, and stuff like that. But still, like I know in the helicopter community, uh, you know, I knew how to hoist, uh, you know, someone up. I knew how to be hoisted up. I knew how to do all this stuff before I'd ever actually seen a helicopter. And yeah. then you get in the real helicopter and you're like, wow, oh, this is a little different than the pool, you know, or this is different. So that's neat that you got to see it beforehand. So did that help with the training make more sense? Like, oh, okay, this is how it works. Yeah, it was more... Um it, it just set good expectations for like, hey, it's not all, um, you know, shooting guns and yeah. driving around and uh, splashing in the ocean and things like that. Like, there's a lot of maintenance that goes into this. Oh, yeah. So, kind of establishing that expectation on the front end and how I can invest in my Marines and take care of them um, when we're on the ramp. Uh, that's the, the area where you conduct maintenance. Mm. Um, learning that early on was good for me. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure we'll get to it. Um, yeah, that's always the thing. Like you see, when you see all these stuff in the movies and you see all the military, you don't see the hours and hours of maintenance. You don't see. And so like now, whenever I see, you know, somebody in a helicopter shooting, you know, just, just laying down lead, like, oh, it looks so cool. I'm like, man, you know how long it's going to take him to clean that gun? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no way, dude. <laughs> it's like that, you start thinking about the other parts of that. And then uh, police calling the ocean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We won't talk about that. Um, I, uh, yeah, I think uh, many people would be surprised to to know what goes into the ocean. Um, all right, so so then, what is training like? Yeah, so um, showed up to Salt Amphibian Officers Course um, in July of seventeen, and there's it, it's kind of it's it starts off with a lot of uh, basic courses, structure of the platoon. Um, you know, the, the mission of the assault amphibian community um, and uh, get into weapon systems and, like, brass tacks, like making making sure you know how to uh, dis- assemble and disassemble 50 cal and Mark 19, the two uh, primary weapon systems on the on the um, AV P7s, the personnel variant, and then the M240 Bravo that's on the C7, the communications variant, and the R7, the uh, recovery variant. Um, so all the weapon systems, making sure we're quelled on that. Um, and then basics, 
PMCS uh, preventive checks uh, maintenance here, PMCS preventive maintenance checks and services mm-hmm. um, for all the um, all the different parts of the vehicle. So we basically were we, we were kind of glorified. Um, we had crew chiefs, mm-hmm. but our we were assen- essentially our crew chiefs like helper on maintaining the vehicles, um, which is good. So like all the officers are out there, we do the classroom for the first half of the day. The second half of the day is your your maintaining vehicles. Wow, that is great. Swapping track, your um, you know, your greasing the the grease points, you're putting oil on the vehicle, um, checking the fluids, all that kind of stuff. Really, that is great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know that's something that doesn't take place in at least the helicopter community. Um, yeah. You know, you have maintenance people that do that. Uh, the officers don't. They don't do that. The pilots don't. They they kind of know what goes on because they may be over a particular maintenance shop. Um, and I know even coming in as a crew chief, um, luckily I had, well, I won't get into all that, but uh, I had to learn, you know, all of that, which a lot of crew chiefs don't. So that's awesome, I think, that uh, that you guys know. So you know your vehicle inside and out. You know. I will say, um, I would say short answer, no. Long answer, I I heavily sat over my mech, my mechanics uh, shoulder, um, or looked over their shoulder, and they taught me a lot. Once I got to my track platoon, okay. Um, so there's a lot of you know, what are we doing? To swap, swapping a short fan drive drive shaft belt. Um, okay, can you show me how to do that? Kind of thing, things like that. Mm-hmm. While also trying not to slow them down. Um, but a, a lot of I, w- I would say knew the vehicle pretty well. Could could get the bare you know the basics taken care of. Um, but not to, uh, not to discredit the mechs cause those guys really are the ones that know that thing inside now. So, um, what are you guys called? Are you, you're a plot, you're a platoon? Are you with, you're not with a squadron, you're with a what? Uh, with, company? Yeah. So platoon inside of a company, inside of a battalion. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think like, I, I can only think in terms of squadron. Does your company have a dedicated, uh, maintenance shop? Like that's dedicated to all of the AAVs, or do, is your platoon responsible for your particular AAV? Yeah, so it's kind of it's it's a little bit of both. Okay. So basically, your your standard track uh, company line company has uh, thirty six AAVs. So they've mm-hmm. got a um, couple of platoons, really three platoons. It gets kind of weird when you yeah. deploy because you get stuff attached to you and stuff. But um, so you get two pl- two line platoons. And then a headquarters platoon. Okay. And inside that headquarters platoon, they own the maintenance section, and the maintenance section basically um, sends people out to be attached to those platoons when they operate. Okay. But they are those individuals are owned by the chief warrant officer that is um, that is in headquarters. Headquarters. Okay. But would um, and I'm, I'm I'm jumping past your training here, but is it uh, do you when you deploy, do you have your vehicle? That is yours. You were deployed with your responsible, or is it? Do you have guys have a line of AAVs and they're like, "Hey, Humphreys, today you're in, you know, seven one zero, and you just go jump in that AAV." Only for the, the rotations. So, so we have our same vehicles uh, throughout the whole pre-deployment workup and things. You have like one that. vehicle that you will be in. You right. won't go to another. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So my minus track four. That's standard. All the all the um, line platoon commanders are in the fourth vehicle. Okay. So, you know, in the helicopter squadrons, we had an entire line of helicopters. Yeah. And you are on the flight schedule, and you've got your mission, and you got your, you know, whatever, and then maintenance tells you, hey, you're going to take this helicopter today. 
you know, today you're in seven one, tomorrow you're in six four. Right. So, yeah, when um, for Muse, they t- uh, Marine Expeditionary Unit, when those guys deploy, they no kidding, like splashing in the ocean, swim out to the to the ship and then leave. Uh-huh. Um, they take their their vehicles with them when you do a unit deployment program or like a rotation. You rotate in on vehicles that are already there. Um, oh, okay. Because okay. it'd be so expensive to, to yeah, that ship makes sense. those things constantly. So, yeah, yeah, it'd be a be kind of hard to drive that thing over to. Uh, it'd be a long swim, that's for <laughs> sure. To Japan, long. yeah. So, how long is uh, that AAV officers course? Whatever you call it, uh, twelve weeks. Am I, did is it say it again? AAV officers course? Yeah, it's a assault amphibian officers course. Okay. We, we call it AO. Again, okay. it kind of goes back to that like. That's weird. That acronym doesn't line up with it. But anyway, twelve weeks um, was a good training. Was it? Yeah, it's really good training. Um, we had uh, so we had amphib, um, gunnery. Amphib was basically you're splashing a platoon in the ocean uh, and then hitting hitting waypoints. It's basically land navigation in the ocean on a armored vehicle. So let's um, let's say that for those who may not know what AAV, you say you're splashing platoon in the ocean. What does an AAV do? An an assault amphibious vehicle do? Yeah, so they um, so primary job is bring in Marines ship to shore, right? Mm-hmm. So you practice that by going shore to shore first because it's hard to lock on a ship at any moment's notice. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do a simulated, well, it's an actual splash, but you're simulating that you're splashing off a ship into the ocean. So um, you actually drive this big armored assault vehicle off of a ship into the water. So, I mean, I'm trying to paint a picture for somebody that might not know what it is. Yeah. It's a... It's a vehicle that's got tracks, so it can go on land, and it also operates in the ocean, kind of like a duck boat. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's what you mean when you say you splash a platoon in the ocean. Yeah. So you 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 um you know button up the hatches and then uh, drive into the ocean, and it's it has bilge pumps. So there's four bilge pumps in the vehicles. Um, there's two hydraulic and two electric, mm-hmm. and that just pushes off pushes out any water that comes in um if all the seals are good everything's working well it it, they really don't take on much water uh it's kind of like imagine emptying a beer can um sealing it up and then throwing it in the ocean it'll float right same concept it's just you know 26 tons (laughs) it's a big beer can yeah it's a big beer can all right uh so you get done with training it's 12 weeks long Mm -hmm. and you go out and you start doing your job tell us about that like how what was your, your your reaction? Was it everything you hoped it'd be? You know, you said they keep dangling that carrot carrot in front of you. Finally, get to taste the carrot. How how, yeah. how good is it? So uh, the the stakes were kind of high in um, in AO um, because we we had it was it was no no kidding. Like, hey, the order in which you graduate will determine what platoon you get. Okay, and, and everyone wants a line platoon because you're like a line platoon. 12 vehicles, uh, anywhere from 45 to 52 Marines and sailors. Uh, like that's, that's where it's at. And so I, you know, learned from my TBS mistake. I said, like, whatever MOS I get out of TBS, I was like, I'm going to do the best that I can at that. Um, so I did, uh, graduated as the honor graduate of my class and then got my first, got first platoon Bravo company. Right on. Uh, and it was, it was exciting. So, um, what, you know, join those guys very early on in the pre-deployment workup, and um, we had uh, we just hit the ground running. Honestly, I, I got there October third uh, of seventeen. Can I ask real quick? Yeah. When you show up October third of seventeen, are yeah. you an O two, O three? I was a, a second lieutenant. Okay, 01. so oh, you're O one. Yeah. Okay. 
yeah, to bet, again, back to the officer enlisted things, the officer rank is 01 to 010. And so you show up as an 01. Okay. A boot. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, you just finished your training. So I just wanted to kind of get a, a, a frame of reference there. So, okay, you show up in? Yeah. Uh, so, so show up um, on the ramp, get introduced to, introduced to my platoon by uh, my platoon sergeant, Gunner Sergeant Reyes. Um, he, uh, man, he was at like 17 years at that point. It's a great combination. You put in this <laughs> lieutenant with this guy who's um, been in Iraq and Afghanistan multiple times. But, um, and we, we go to integrated training exercise, which is a six-week uh, training exercise integrated with the infantry and really the entire Marine Air Ground Task Force um, out in 29 Palms. We, we went to that within maybe 10 days, um, which was great. So we went to ITX, uh, got some great experience there working with different infantry battalions. Um, lots of experience seeing fires, the, the FIST team, it's um, basically they coordinate artillery and uh, close air support from mm-hmm. the AVs. Got to see that coordination um, and work closely with those guys. And then after that, um, went straight into Steel Knight, which is the 1st Marine Division. Um, it's it's a training exercise every December where the entire division gets to, together and operates. That's um, a rad name. Yeah. Steel Knight. Steel Knight. It was awesome. So, uh, well, you know, it's one of those things where it's like the lulls are, are boring. Yeah. Um, but when we're moving, you're seeing, you're like in, like at Steel Knight, I was integrated with all of 1st Tank Battalion um, and you know, a infantry battalion and it was, it was cool. So got, it was like back to back to back. So I was in the field with my platoon for six weeks and then for two weeks. And then after the Christmas break, we went to uh, national training center. It's the army's version of um, 29 Palms in Fort Irwin, California. And uh, got to, got interesting experiences there. I got to, we did our table 12 valuation. It's a um, ring. Basically it's a, Live fire, uh, fire, live fire maneuver range where you're maneuvering your entire track platoon on an objective, uh, integrated with Miklix. They're the um, mine clearing line charges. Okay. So, you know, the mine clearing line charge, I highly recommend anybody look up a video of these things. 1,750 pounds of C4 going off at once. Uh, they clear the breach and go through that. And got to uh, have that experience out in uh, National Training Center. Awesome. And then after that, got while we were still out there, got uh, integrated with the Army and got a uh, Army infantry company on my vehicles. We had, like, I call it a Marine Corps sandwich. It was okay. like, <clears throat> so we were under 11th Armor, Armored Cavalry Regiment, 11th ACR. Under them was 2nd, what are they, 2nd uh, Light Armored Reconnaissance Battalion. Under them was this infantry company from 4th Infantry Division in the Army. So it was like Army, Marine Corps, Army. And then I was attached to that company. So it was uh, uh, like I was under an Army company commander. He was under an, a Marine battalion commander. He was under a uh, Army colonel. It was interesting. So that and then uh, I'm flying through a lot right now. No, it's good. This is – so – I'm the one that's made us take forever. We've taken 50 minutes to get here. This is the exciting part. I should have just let us jump to this. 
Uh, but I, I think the rest of it's interesting to me, like the pipeline and the training, the whole carrot dangling in front of you is uh, something everybody goes through. So that's why I'm interested. You get here. Was it, was it what you hoped it'd be? Was it exciting doing all that stuff you just said? I mean, it sounds exciting. Yeah. Again, there are the lulls. We get that. But I mean, yeah. did you feel like the sense of satisfaction? Like, all right, this is what I was, this is what I signed up for. Yeah. I, th- I think the best part about it is that the track, um, community is very decentralized and so when you're out with your platoon like you're the guy yeah um like sure you send sit sit reps back to your company commander uh, but you're not being you know uh walked along on a leash by your company commander you're out there you know with the infantry and you're the subject matter expert that is advising that infantry company commander Mm -hmm. um and it's yeah it it was got lots of time with my guys spent months and months in the field um, very early on, which I'm very thankful for. And that was, uh, it was exactly, you know, what I thought it was going to be in that regard. How do you guys, how do you guys do maintenance on the vehicles when you're out in the field? I mean, you can't take your whole shop worth of toolboxes with you. Cause I, I, I'm coming again from this mindset of we operate from either a ship or a base with a hangar where we have all our tools. How do you guys maintain the vehicles when you're out in the field? So in the headquarters, it's actually the general support platoon, but we call it a headquarters platoon. Um, but within that company, they have a, an R7, which is a recovery variant. Um, in the water, it looks like a sea dragon. They're pretty cool. And it's got a big crane on it. And that thing is like every vehicle has its own tool uh, tools assigned to it and stuff like that. But the R7 has a whole suite of different things. They've got welders. Welder uh, Marines that are welders attached to it. Uh, it's got a crane so you can pull a pack or an engine transmission. Um, so we can do all that in the field. Okay. Uh, as long as the logistics guys uh, can get us an engine or a transmission or whatever it may be, we can swap it in the field. Okay. Um, so all of that's done in like rear maintenance areas. But really, if you had to, you could just park on the side of the road. If you have an R7, you can get it. That's what I was thinking. Like you're out, you're doing a maneuver, you, I don't know, throw a track or, you know, something like that happens. Now you're just stranded there. Uh, That's what I was like, "Eh, how do you get that out to, how do you get that track from the rear out to the. Yeah. um, The vehicle. We, depending on the situation, if you throw a track, for example, um, which basically means that it, the, the track that goes around the road wheels comes off and uh, that's how the vehicle moves. So um, you can do a couple things. You can short track it. So if you've, if you broke a couple track blocks, you can cut that thing short around some of the road wheels and still get it moving. And um, you would need somebody to come out. Your, your guys could do that. hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. 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 I saw my guys do it multiple times. Okay, good. Yeah. So um, yeah, just like with anything else, if you can, if you can duct tape it and limp back to base, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Yep. And, and just tow it back. Yeah. Uh, so what would you say, so let's just say you're, how many years, uh, were you there doing that? Uh, t- a little over, it was like two and a half. All right. So this is, this is the, the heart of the podcast right here. Good job, bad job. You like it? I will say, you know, now, now that it is kind of becoming a, no longer a thing, no one's, in, no one is coming in to be an AV officer anymore. They're, they're now getting on ACVs. Um. I will say it was it was a good job uh, for the time that it lasted. Okay. Um, and uh, 
but I, I won't I won't be going back to it. I'll say that. Yeah. So the you say now people are transitioning to the ACVs? Yeah, the uh, amphibious combat vehicle. Okay. Um, it's the the wheeled. Um, it, it's just a new. Is that something you would idea. recommend people? Like, yeah, this is a this is a good good job if you're looking for. You know, so you got a brand new guy. He's at TBS and he's ranking his stuff. Where would you tell him to put ACV on that mm. list? Just according to Dan and what he's seen. Yeah, that is that is tough because there's a lot of considerations as far as like how cool the job is. Yeah. I'd, I'd say pretty high. Okay, I'd say probably. I mean, for me, definitely. Now that tanks are gone, I'd say like one or two. Okay. Um, but there's other considerations there as far as you know progression in the community and longevity like if you just want to do four years 100 percent. okay like definitely definitely worthwhile um but if you're looking to do long term i would i would more recommend infantry or artillery one of those bigger communities that uh can foster long-term development okay yeah because uh that that's a big consideration i think a lot of people don't know and and your career and how you advance the the community you're in makes a difference. The yeah. community you're in really adds to. It's not just like across the board. Every community you have the exact same opportunities. Um, so okay. Um, one thing I didn't ask you about. Um, uh, at what point through all of this did you get married? I got married right after I commissioned. So I okay. commissioned. Jack this up, but I think it was it's Friday the thirteenth of two thousand sixteen. And your so your wife was was part of all this process. Yep. Um, just for somebody that's thinking about getting into this, uh, how is this community uh, on a family and just being married? I, I think so. I've spent my first year in the fleet. I, it was mainly like field time, so I spent probably. See or two, three, I don't know, maybe five to seven months out of the year in the field. Um, and then the rest of the time I was in garrison, so I was able to go home in the evenings. Uh, and then. Yeah, it, for those who don't know, when you say five to seven months in the field, you're not going home at night. You're, right. You're right. out in the field sleeping right. out. Yeah. That's not all consecutive, though. So to be fair, right. um, you know, you do a couple weeks in the field and then you come back for. Okay. Weeks and then. Uh, so I will say as far as impact on a family, I didn't have kids at the time. So that's definitely a factor. Um, but yeah, Julia definitely had a, like, I don't want you to be, she, she had hesitations about having kids during that time because she was like, well, I don't want you to just be an absent father. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's not like it, it changes a lot. You have to remember this is not uh, really a time of war. Um, and so, the, the the work up in deployment cycle, like I only did one unit deployment program, uh, which is just a fancy name for a rotation to uh, PACOM, the Pacific Command Air, Area of Operations, so like Japan, China area. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, for guys, you know, during early Iraqi freedom, those guys were doing three, four, five pumps in a row. Right. Uh, and that definitely is that's different when there's no end in sight and you're like, Oh, it's just one more, just one more. And you're doing a 12 to 18 month workup and a six month deployment. 
over and over and over again. I only did one of those. Yeah. So I will say from my experience, completely doable, but those guys had a lot harder experience than I did. Yeah, definitely op-tempo was, was crazy for that. Um, and I think that's another thing, again, people don't understand. When someone talks about a deployment, you know, you did a six-month deployment. They don't – a lot of times people don't understand the workups – the pre- preparation for deployment. I mean, it's just as hard on a family. It's, it's not like, you know, the six month deployment is the only tough time. It's, it's that entire uh, rotation of getting ready to go going. Um, what would you say? What was, you kind of mentioned it a minute ago. What would you say is the best part of your, of that job? I would say the, the opportunity to be in the, in the elements with, um, I don't even say Marines, just people, mm-hmm. you know, because sailors and, and Marines that uh, come from tons of different backgrounds. And um, I look back very fondly on a lot of those conversations that I had with, I mean, a lot of those guys were young. Yeah. Like most of my platoon is under 22. Um, and having conversations with them, you know, in you know, a- after uh, the sun's gone down and stuff, we're, we're, we're fixing vehicles and I get to sit down next to them and learn from them. Um, yeah, that, that is, that was definitely very rewarding. And I had, you know, it, it varied depending on who was with the platoon, but 45 to 52 guys out there and one girl. Um, and, uh, and it was just me and them. Yeah. And that, that was awesome. Um, very rewarding. That's great. Yeah, I think that too. Um, you're not there yet, but once you once you hit my age, those are the things you're going to remember. Yeah, those conversations and that downtime. And I always tell people, everybody's like, "Oh, do you miss the military?" I'm like, "Yeah, I do," because I think about stuff like that. I miss being around the shop with the guys and stuff like that. And then somebody tells me they're like, "Oh, I got watch." I'm like, "Oh man, I forgot about watch. I don't miss that." And then all yeah. these, <laughs> you just like you just got off of duty. It's like, "Oh yeah, I didn't. I don't miss that." And but those those times you're talking about right there, that's what you will miss. Um, what's the worst part? Um, I, I will say worst part, the, the community itself. Um, I will say it a lot of great mentors. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I could go on about positives, but, um, the downsides that there's not, I, I had to sit down early on during my integrated training exercise with uh, my company commander at the time. Um, <clears throat> Major uh, Denton, and he he kind of asked me like, "Hey, so how ITX go?" Kind of feedback, and I was like, "Honestly, sir, you know, they, I I don't really know how much long like how long I'll be in this community because um, the company commander, you are not out there with your platoons uh, because because the community is not designed for that. It's designed so that the track platoons." support their infantry counterpart it's not designed for track company to be you know attached to the hip to infantry company it just doesn't work like that mm-hmm. um because the infantry comp the sorry the track company supports an infantry battalion so when that track company gives out each of those platoons to a infantry company at the end of the day the company commander is by himself in the headquarters like with his first sergeant and no one else around, really. Maybe, like, the warrant officer from the maintenance section. But, mm. um, And so I kind of explained that to him, and, and he affirmed that. He was like, yeah. He's like, that's legitimately an issue. Like, 
if you came to he, – he didn't say it quite like this, but he's like, if you came to lead Marines uh, and to be in the field and, and to, you know, to be at, at the edge with them, um, you know, it, it stops at the platoon. Like, that's the only time that you do that. Um, and, like, the track company commander is not doing it. The track battalion commander is not doing it. And you hear some stories of, like, oh, during this specific operation in Iraqi Freedom, this track company commander was able to be – but those are, like, one-offs. The community is not designed for that. Yeah. So um, I will say this: the structure was kind of – was something I was not expecting. And um, it was a very, like, this is a – this is short-term. You will not be – in this long term, if you want to um, stay away from a desk, yeah, as long as possible. Mm. Um, can you? Do you have any cool? I mean, just cool experiences, cool stories. Yeah, adventures you want to share? Tons. Right. Um, one in in track school comes to mind. Um, so we we were doing amphib, <clears throat> which is basically you're rotating through the lieutenants. Um, to, to lead the, the platoon in an amphibious assault operation. So they're basically going from shore uh, out, hitting different waypoints and hitting a beach at a specific time and place. And then they have follow-on objectives inland. So uh, we're, we're doing that for five or six nights in a row. Um, and a couple nights in, we kind of see some we're, – we're splashing, we're going out into the ocean – and, and uh, up in front of the, ve- the vehicle in front of me, I kind of see some, like, white kind of blobs in the moonlight and, uh, and didn't really think much of it. And then the next night, I see them again, but much closer. And so I was UFOs. Like, not UFOs. Oh, okay. Although that would have made a much more interesting <laughs> Sorry, story. Um, so we, you know, this one, I'm leading uh, this specific uh, amphibious assault operation that we're doing. So... We go out, and because I was the first vehicle, those blobs, like, circled around my vehicle this time. And uh, I was in the the TC hatch, which is the troop compartment hatch. It's on the left side of the vehicle or the port side. Um, and you're, you're like, right next to the water. I mean, probably if I st- rest, uh, street, stretched out my arm, probably, like, a foot away, and uh, these dolphins covered in bioluminescent oh, algae oh, come wow. up all around the vehicle. Like, there was, there was probably 12 of them. And there's just like the movies, there's coming up, pop up, pop up. And I can see them perfectly, even though it's night, they're glowing. They're fully glowing. I see this one come up literally 12 to 18 inches from my hand. Uh, and he cuts under the vehicle and I can see his, tr- his trace of bioluminescence going under the vehicle. And, and they're just all around us. And I was like, this is so cool. Like that we're is awesome. Like on an armored vehicle in the Pacific Ocean. At sur- night. Sur- at night, surrounded by these... Uh, these dolphins glow in the dark dolphins. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, uh, for any, anyone listening, if you get to go on YouTube and look up bioluminescent dolphins, you'll see what I'm talking about. And it, in person, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess it was, that would be kind of freaky though at first, not knowing what that is like, what in the world? Yeah. You, you could, you could see the detail on them though. You like, I could see their eyes. I could see the lines on their body, Yeah, their bodies, um, their fins. Like it was, incredible yeah it kind of lets you understand how myths and legends get started huh oh 100 yeah like this is why people think mermaids exist. <laughs> yeah 100 yeah oh that's cool what else you got another one oh man um 
I'm I'm sure I've got more. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I'll yeah, put you on the spot there. Th- that one's that one's hard to top. That one just uh, pops in in my mind. All right. Um, well, what about um? Would you tell what would you tell somebody who's thinking about joining the military? So I get this. Uh, if you haven't yet, you will get this. You know, yeah. a lot of people are like, oh my. My son's thinking about joining the Navy or the Marines. My my cousin, my friend's thinking about joining the military. What's your advice? What do you say to somebody thinking about joining the military? Yeah, I'd say uh, heavily research jobs. Um, you know, know what's out there before you know what you want to do. Um, and I'm and I'm not saying research by talking to a recruiter. Uh, <laughs> one kind of thing about recruiting, real quick, is. Everyone out there is trying to, uh, if you're eligible for population, they're, they're trying to recruit you, whether it's Space Force, Air Force, Marines, whatever. Um, because at the end of the day, they're all pulling from the same pool of people. And they like to say, like, oh, we're, we only take the top 10% or blah, 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 whatever it is. They're still pulling from the same group of Americans and uh, in its territories, America and its territories. So um, basically don't become a victim by just walking into a recruiter and be like, what you got? Uh, Cause they're going to get you what, you know, what they, what they have. And it, boy, if I got a deal for yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, you know, they have a job as well. So it's not, it's not that every recruiter's malicious. They, they have, they have to fill those slots. So um, somebody's got to be a comms officer, right? Somebody's not me. Be, yeah. Somebody will though. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'd say heavily research, uh, and then figure out what you want to do and know what you want to do. Um, and then from there exceed the expectations of what you want to do before you get there. Um, what does that, what do you mean? Exceed the expectations of what you want to do before you get there? Yeah. So if you, you know, if, if you're like, I want to be a, an, I want to get an, uh, you know, option 40 contracts. I want to. Uh, be a enlisted ranger mm-hmm. in ranger regiment. Um, before you show up to the recruiter, max the uh, ranger physical fitness. Ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that it, a lot of it's just kind of the number of stories I've heard of guys that uh, say like, oh, I want to be something, but they show up and the recruiter puts them in something else. A lot of it's like the aptitude that they demonstrate yeah. um, because they don't want to send them in something that they're going to fail at, Yeah. right? Um, because at least on, at least in the Marines that comes back on them. So if a recruiter sends 10 guys to be reconnaissance men and they, uh, all fail BRC, like that's going to come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Minimum standards are exactly what they sound like. Yeah. Minimum, minimum standards. Yeah. I know like even I'm completely speaking out of my element here, but like buds, I think it's something, what's the, the minimum requirements like 10 pull-ups or Six and it's just some number. It's like if that's the if that's all you can do, no, good luck. I mean, it's yeah. so yeah. Minimum standards are minimum. You definitely don't want to be there. Yeah, I guess and unless you just want to be in the military, I don't care what I do. Yeah, go for the minimum, which is not not a good uh, platform for life. Yeah, but there was um, one thing I learned about people researching jobs and knowing what they want to do was at the basic school. When I showed up, I, I racked and stacked my MOSs the exact same way the day one that I did month seven mm. um, because I 
and not right. I'm just saying, like, there's information out there, and I pursue that information, and I recommend people do the same. Because there'd be guys, my peers, commissioned Marine officers, and I, I'd be like, so, you know, what do you want for MOS? And they're like, oh, I was thinking either comm or infantry. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're, like, you, like, they have no idea because they haven't researched, and – like, well, why do you want to be infantry? Oh, I want to shoot guns. That that is a that is a eighteen year old uh, fresh out of high school answer. That's not a commission officer answer. That's somebody um, just wanting to be Steven Seagal. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's absurd, and that's yeah. just laziness. And then when guys would do that, they play that game of uh, like, I don't know, I was either thinking F eighteen pilot or uh, you know supply officer. Yeah. Like, wow. They would end up being a supply officer <laughs> right. because they just went hey, in with whatever. But that's why, I like, Top Gun, Top Gun 2, that's why they're such great recruiting tools. I mean, everybody wants to, you know, that's what they want to do. I want to be I want to, I want to, to be Maverick. I want to be inverted. I want to be like, good luck with that. Yeah. You're going to be a supply officer. Yeah, which is totally doable, but it's just a matter of, like, establishing expectations. Yeah. You know, there's standards for pilots. You have to take the that's right. ASTB, I think it's called. Um Know what that ex- know what that standard is. Exceed it Exceeded. before you get there. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know you you were downplaying uh, you being the first uh, guest on this podcast, but I think I I and we didn't even have time. I'm going to have to recruit you for another podcast episode because uh, we don't have time to get into it. But you right now are over at MCRD San Diego. And so you're getting to see how Marines are made, and uh, that's the boot camp uh, for Marines. And just briefly, do you want to talk about where you're headed? Yeah, so uh, I got approved a few, I want to say weeks or months ago, um, for an inter-service transfer to the Army. Um, So I'm transferring over to be an 11 Alpha Infantry Officer, um, and I... Because you want to shoot guns. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I heard they shoot guns over there, so here I go. Um, so I am uh, I will be attending Maneuver Captain's Career Course in February of 23, a couple months from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I'll, my last day in the Marine Corps is February 19th. Awesome. And so, we, yeah, that transfer has been a long process, yeah. and we're glad you finally got that approved, and you're going to infantry officers and then – uh, you don't have to. Do you want to say, like, what your goal is? Uh, follow on from there? Yeah, so there's kind of a a lot of it's timing. Um, I'd love to serve in Ranger Regiment at some point. A lot of that is um, there's windows, and you got to hit those windows. And because of my timing in the Marine Corps, um, it's weird because I'm still super junior. Like, I'm not even at seven years yet. Uh, but I'm too senior, or might be too senior by the time you get there. So, um my, my goal coming over to – one of my goals, one of my many goals to coming over to the Army was to uh, be a company commander in Ranger Regiment. Um, however, you know, that is that is still my goal, um, but I have to go through Maneuver Captain's Career Course, uh, Ranger School, Airborne School, all that kind of stuff. Hopefully next year I'll get to go to all that. Um, and then I, then I need to go on staff for a while, and then I need to command – and then when I you have to do a conventional company command before you're eligible to apply to be a company commander in Ranger Regiment, you have to be four months in before you can apply. Goodness. So the window is, uh, I want to say it's six and a half years to eight and a half years um, as a captain with, like, those credentials hit. You need to be graduated Ranger School, graduated Airborne School, 
um, I believe, and then um, four months into company command. So that clock is ticking because I'm going to be, this summer I'll be at seven years and I'm going to be in training. Mm -hmm. The following summer when I'm on staff, I'll be at eight years. So in, so I'll have to time it really well. And this is kind of going to go into God's providence, I guess, God's plan for my life. And, um, you know, if, if it's not his will, like my timing will work out. Yeah. And then uh, you, you can apply again when you go to um, their, their PME uh professional military education for majors. Um, so I'll, I'll apply at some point to go to Ranger Assessment Selection Program. Um, well, I'm sure they're going to be listening to this podcast, and they're going to hear how awesome you are, and they're going to hear that you got up at 6 a.m. to go on a crazy run in the mountains, and they're going to be like, that's the guy we want. Um, <laughs> and then I show up, and they're like, wait a second, you're in the Marines? You've never seen Under Siege? Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> no. Awesome. Well, that, that means um, – so that's a whole new that's a whole new career field, a whole new pipeline. So I think episode one hundred, we're gonna have you back on definitely because uh, I want to hear about that. I want to hear how the inter service transfer goes, yeah. um, and by then we will have that black rifle sponsorship, mm -hmm. and so we'll be we'll be really enjoying good coffee at that point. I, th I think with going over to the army, maybe Evan Hafer will be like, oh yeah, that's that's what we're looking for. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna hear this. He's gonna hear you drink black rifle. He's gonna make some phone calls. Uh, not only are we going to get a sponsorship, you're just going to get a, an open invitation uh, anywhere you want to go in the Army. So this podcast, it's going to make big things for, for people. Now, thanks, Dan, so much. Uh, man, I think you you are awesome. Um, when I, – I don't know. I don't want to be cheesier, but, like, whenever, like, I met you and I meet you, you're like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a locked-on dude. That's a squared-away dude. And uh, uh, that's a big compliment. I'm not – you know – you're, you're a really squared away dude. And I, I, we need, you know, officers like you. And I think, uh, your Marines and your future soldiers are, are, are going to benefit from having you, uh, lead them. So thanks so much for sharing all of this and, um, and stay in touch. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. All right. Later.